Hello, I'm Dana Stevens, Slate's movie critic, and we're here with a Slate spoiler special for My Super Ex-Girlfriend. The Slate spoiler special, if you haven't heard one before, is not a review. It's an opportunity for us to talk about the movie in a way that assumes that the listener has seen the movie. So if you haven't seen My Super Ex-Girlfriend and you plan to see it, you shouldn't be listening to this spoiler special. So I'm here with Mike Pesca, who's a reporter for NPR's Day to Day. Hey. Hello. And with Julia Turner, who is a Slate Culture Editor. Hi there. And we're here to discuss My Super Ex-Girlfriend, which Julia and I actually just walked out of only moments ago. So to start with the spoilers, the most remarkable thing to Julia and I at the end of the movie was how unsatisfying the resolutions to the romances are in this romantic comedy. Do you agree, Mike? Yeah, slapped on. Although I think it was of a piece with the unsatisfying nature of the whole movie. I can't say it disappointed and didn't, didn't deliver on a promise, because from 20 minutes in, you say to yourself, wow, what was going to be an interesting uh, concept kind of doesn't deliver. Right. I mean, it's, it's strange in a way to even talk about spoilers with a romantic comedy this predictable, because you can see plotted from the moment you, you walk in, from moment one, who's going to end up with whom, right? Who are the good guys? Who's the bad guys? I think something that surprised us, uh, though, more than anything else was the, uh, the tone of the end. I mean, if there's anything that, that we can spoil here, it's just to say that this movie maintains a remarkably bitter and misogynist tone all the way through, and I don't think ever comes through with any likable or, or lovable character. Well, I, you know, I was going to ask you guys about what you thought of the misogyny. I, I kind of said to myself, I bet Ivan Reitman, the director and the writer of this movie, said to themselves, oh, it's not misogynistic. It's a strong female superhero. But she's such a crazy bitch once you, gra- once you break up with her. So it was pretty mean to women throughout. It was pretty mean to human beings throughout, okay? It was misanthropic. And you're right. I think we were supposed to identify with Luke Wilson. But, you know, he always... I was kind of thinking about his film career. He always plays the simp, the cuckold, right? In old school, he gets cheated on. In he, As Richie Tenenbaum, he longs for his sister in unrequited love. He's the guy who never gets the girl. And I think we're supposed to feel for him. But I never do in this movie. And... It's kind of an indictment of his whole career. I just never feel for the guy, period, in any movies when I think about it. Right. I mean, that's that seemed to be the trouble with the movie is that it wants you to empathize with Luke Wilson, who's a total cipher, where actually the character that's interesting is this superwoman who's got so much trouble. She can't make her love relationships work. She's got all this responsibility. I mean, she's the interesting character. But, I mean, you said she turns into a crazy bitch when you dump her. She's a crazy neurotic bitch before he even starts going out with her. Like, there's no reason that he would ever like her in the first place. So the whole relationship is implausible, and that's why you don't care when it ends. And stuff could have been mined where she's maybe a crazy person in her real life, but is actually super. But when you look at what she does as a superhero, she doesn't seem to want to save the world. She's put upon to stop a missile, if you remember that scene. She's cruel to animals on a number of occasions. (laughs) Maybe just fish. But she... What, except for the fact that she has superpowers and begrudgingly saves the world when the world's about to explode, there's really not too much to like about her. Although I do think the one of the bright spots of the movie was Uma played neurotic pretty well and then instantly became glamorous when she became the supergirl. Oh, you thought so? I thought her neurotic was so annoying. <laughs> I, I like Uma as a comedian. I mean, I think her, she was given terrible material to work with in this movie. And I think that the movie is profoundly afraid of women's power. Maybe we can talk about that in a minute. But... I don't know. I, I, I sort of like Uma's touch with this kind of a gawky, gawky heroine. But let's talk for a minute about just the transformation of the, the girlfriend of the Anna Ferris character at the end, which to me was a surprise. The moment that Anna Ferris goes through that plate glass window and you think she's dead, right? And then she pops back up having acquired superpowers herself. You really thought she was dead? 
Well, or that they were somehow going to, I don't know, maybe they'd bring her back Matrix style or something like that. <laughs> it didn't actually occur to me that she was going to get the superpowers. Did you guys guess that in advance? I thought she was going to get the superpowers, and then I was surprised when it was Uma Thurman who rose from behind the building. See, I, th- I thought it was a total Superman 2. You were safe in there while, while he was blasting us with the cosmic rays out here, if you remember that device, where Nan and General Zod <laughs> tried to reverse the powers on Superman. I- I'm a big... I thought this was going to be more of a superhero movie, where I think it's a great concept. I mean, let's take the idea of superheroes and put it in real life. And I've always thought about this. I mean, with Spider-Man, won't he just leave a lot of webs around town? And with Superman, there's the issue of triage, right? I mean, for every bank robbery he spends time stopping, there's a genocide in Darfur that's going on. But with this movie... I mean, it doesn't deliver on that promise. It really starts just becoming like a rom-com, a regular rom-com with that little hint of uh, the superpowers thrown in as a slap-on. I would almost argue that that's part and parcel of the movie's misogyny. I mean, it's as if Uma Thurman and then in her turn Anna Faris are not allowed to be really super. They have these powers, but as you say, they live in a sort of morally muddled universe where they would rather pout on a date than go and stop a missile from destroying the tri-state area, right? Mm -hmm. And I feel like the movie at the end really kind of gives the Anna Faris character something with one hand and takes it away with the other. She becomes a superheroine, but as Julia was arguing on her way out of the movie, she actually is is less attractive and less appealing as girlfriend material in the eyes of the movie after she's become super. Yeah, the, the, the weird scene is the one at the end where they have sex after she's gotten her superpowers. And throughout the movie, the characters speak as though sex with a superwoman or supergirl is great and it's something to brag about, it's something your friends will be jealous of. But the actual way that the sex scenes are rendered is completely appalling. I mean, they don't right. it doesn't seem sexy at all. It's horrible. This was, movie is so scared of sex. Right. It was, Every time they have sex, they're wearing, you know, not even lingerie, like Amish lingerie. <laughs> There's no nudity. I noticed that she ejects the guy's car into outer space and writes in graffiti on it, suck you <laughs> it's so afraid to curse to keep that PG-13 rating I mean didn't the wedding crashers teach Hollywood that you know be a little blue I guess if you have the material if not you just this is, just turns into marketing and you have to be you're PG-13. absolutely right Mike it's a movie about sex a sex comedy that hates sex and finds it completely terrifying and yeah. boring well I don't know I mean the sex the, the sex with Anna Faris when she's not powerful is sexy because she's so sweet and cute and blonde in her little boxer shorts I mean it's not hot exactly but it's sweet and charming and then as soon as she becomes powerful she's like this crazy dominatrix in bed and there's no pleasure to be found at all well it's the same joke three times right when you have sex with a superhero she's very powerful and breaks the bed i mean it's literally the same joke twice and the other variation is when you fly with the superhero and have sex couldn't they at least have figured out like a different piece of furniture that they could have broken (laughs) and isn't it also depressing in terms of the love story that the two sex scenes are exactly the same with the crazy ex-girlfriend who he's not meant to be with and with you know the love of his life it's, it's, they're filmed exactly the same. The girl on top, I guess that's what superhero sex is, right? The girl is on top and she breaks your bed. <laughs> Wait a minute, but getting superpowers turned the brunette blonde but turned the blonde redhead. Right, but even in that case, blonde trumps redhead because it's they agree that she's hotter as the pre-superhero blonde. So in rock, paper, scissors, <laughs> it, they, they don't all beat each other? It's a clear hierarchy? I so think... blonde, redhead, brunette? Okay, I get it. Yeah, yeah and the logic of the, the desirable Hollywood heroine. I think Blonde has to trump all, right? So Blonde Anna Faris has nowhere to go but to become a super redhead at the end. But, you know, Dana, you were pointing this out right after the movie, too. What's amazing about the Uma Thurman transformation scene back in high school is that when she gets her superpowers, what she, you know, you see Spider-Man get his superpowers and suddenly he can fly, he can web swing, he can do whatever it is that he can do. And 
Uma Thurman gets boobs, you know? Her, her, it's sort of like she gets boobs, and then she turns blonde, and then her braces come off. And then, like, as an afterthought, she hovers. But she's, it's, she's not psyched <laughs> about being able to fly. She's psyched about having breasts. And she becomes popular and gets dates. Right. Like, that's, that's what, if a woman were all-powerful, that's what she would do with her powers. As long as we're talking about the flashback, let's just at least briefly touch on the Eddie Izzard character and what happens with him at the end. The supervillain in the movie, Professor Bedlam, right, who turns out to be the thwarted high school sweetheart of, of Uma Thurman. And what about the disturbing ending in which he gets matched up with her? Why exactly? Because he's been stalking her for 20 years? And they're meant to be together for that reason? Because it would have fulfilled his fantasy. And by the way, do you guys think... I, th- I think Eddie Izzard's very funny, but I think his American accent to me sounded like a combination of a drunk and Christopher Walken and got in the way of whatever tr- comedy he was trying to bring to it. They needed it to give work. his character a backstory that explained the accent in yeah. some way because he, he felt like he was in the wrong movie world. But I think perhaps the most uneasy moment at the end, Julie and I were talking about how these supposedly satisfying resolutions of the two romantic stories actually leave you with this incredible sense of unease and almost kind of terror for the future of these two couples. And I think the scariest <laughs> moment of that is when Luke Wilson tries to convince Uma to go with Professor Bedlam, with Eddie Izzard, who's been her archenemy for their entire lives, because he has a shrine to her in his apartment. And it works. The line works. <laughs> right. Uma's like, oh, no way. That's so sweet. Which is, of course, how any woman responds when she learns that someone has a shrine to her. Well, Everybody suggests- knows in movie language that a shrine to someone in your bedroom means you're a psycho killer. Yeah, I was going to say, it suggests that a different ending for In the Line of Fire would have been John Malkovich gets the president, but not by killing him. He actually dates him. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I wanted, uh, Julia, you're an expert on breaking up and breakup books. Did reading those breakup books tell you anything, inform your viewing of this movie at all? I wrote a piece recently about um, how-to breakup guides, which is this whole genre of books, which uh, tell you how to respond if you've been dumped, which is, you know, the advice is basically cry for a while and then stop. Um, But first of all, all of the breakup books are aimed at women who have been dumped. So the breakup books would be for the Uma Thurman character. And they would suggest, don't go psycho, don't become a stalker, move on, try to find someone new. So, you know, the breakup books would probably approve of her relationship with with Eddie Izzard at the end of the film. But what all of these books do for all that they're slight is, you know, take seriously the notion that in any relationship there are two sides and there is something that originally drew you together and then that thing ends, which is more than this movie does at any point. I mean, Luke Wilson is never interested in her. He's only interested in sleeping with her, and he gets no comeuppance at the end for having trifled with her. We're we're supposed to root for him, even though he's been basically a cad throughout the whole thing. He lands the girl, and, you know, we're supposed to loathe Uma, where, in fact, you sort of want to identify with her, except for that she's such a repellent character the whole way through. And, And also, in terms of that, and we keep saying the girl and the superhero, did you notice that she's called G-Girl, and it's brought up why is she called G-Girl and never explained? I mean, how sloppy is that movie? They don't even tell you what the character's, the superhero character's name is. You're right. There's a bunch of guesses at the beginning of the movie what the G could stand for, and it's never followed up on. They don't care. Girlfriend, Why should we care? They don't care. All right, well, thank you for listening to this spoiler special, and maybe the takeaway message if you haven't seen Super Ex-Girlfriend is don't. (laughs) All right, thanks a lot, Mike. Oh, thank you. Thanks, Dana. For Slate.com, I'm Dana Stevens. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing... The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. 
purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.